Ask Canada Immigration Lawyer Evelyn Aka. Good day. My name is Evelyn Aka. I'm the founder and managing lawyer of Aka Business Immigration Law. We are based in Calgary, Alberta, and we have two offices in Toronto and Vancouver, Canada as well. I focus primarily on cross-border NAFTA immigration law for professionals as well as families and individuals looking to move to Canada or move to the United States. I would like to welcome you to my podcast. It's called Ask Canada Immigration Lawyer Evelyn Aka. Good day, everyone. I have the pleasure today of having my friend and colleague Gordon Vanderleek from Vanderleek Law here in Calgary, Alberta, joining me on our podcast to talk all things wills and estates. So welcome, Gordon. Thank you very much. It's uh, definitely my honor and privilege to uh, receive the invitation and gladly uh, made the time and I look forward to our conversation. I'm really excited to have you. So full disclosure, Gordon is also my wills and estates guru and um, and he's really helpful because, you know, families change and move and transition. And I think it's really important to always have that person that provides the wills and estates expertise. It's not an area you can dabble in. That's what I say, especially the same with immigration. You can't dabble and do right. it well. So Gordon does. Say that, that exactly. Go, full disclosure, Evelyn's my go-to person for immigration <laughs> and uh, well-deserved uh, uh, reputation as a leader in this area. Thank you so much. So the reason I'm really excited to have you on today is because I really feel like besides just getting people into Canada, we need to think about how we can arm them with the skill set that they need. So last time I did a podcast on financial management for newcomers, and it was actually a great podcast because even as a Canadian, I could have learned some things that maybe I'm not doing as best as I can financially. So I'm hoping people will learn from this podcast about what they need to be doing and thinking about in terms of wills and estates. So just to start, um, let me tell you, let me ask you, Gordon, why did you get into this area? Yeah, it's interesting. In terms of my legal career, um, I, I started out doing business law. And it's interesting over the years, it's kind of migrated more into um, the um, in the wills and estates area. Um, and it's always been a nice blend uh, to do that. But I've, I've really enjoyed probably in the last dozen years focusing specifically in the in the wills and estates area. Um, and uh, I think for me, the attraction is you you. The, the planning is so rewarding, or even in the complex estates, they're kind of a mess. And you they come in, um, and you get to bring order to disorder. Uh, you and you can put a plan in place. Um, so it's just the, I, if if at the end of the day, when I'm um, seeing a client out the door after after a session together, and they go, oh, I just feel so much more relieved um, yes. that this my you know my documents are in place, um, then. It's um, yeah, that is just so rewarding, right? Uh, where where you where you know you're making a difference. So I think what what I like about this area of law is you get regular feedback that you're making a difference in people's lives. But I like the challenge of taking the complexity of the area and making it simple, and then also dealing with people in some of their most difficult moments, right? Yeah. So I think it you know I think it's a challenge for us as as practitioners in those circumstances to be compassionate, compassionate, empathetic, uh, but to use our knowledge to make a big difference. And mm -hmm. I find the clients are so helpful. If, if, if I get a call going, okay, my spouse just passed away. What do I do? I have no idea what to do. Um, there's value in, in, in that from 
a practitioner's perspective, because you do feel like you're making a difference in that yes. person's uh, life. Like, you know, maybe it's akin to, um, you know, a family lawyer dealing with a breakup. It's it's yeah. a high stress situation. So you're really feeling like you can make a difference versus, yeah. okay, it's a corporate merger. Um, and this is why we get into law, right? You yeah. and I both, it's a bit of fundamentally, it's to help people, right? Exactly. I remember years ago um, uh, when I was, when I was in our, I think it was even as I was thinking of going into law school or, or right at the beginning of it, right? There was a, there was a, a senior lawyer that I knew in my hometown. And, and so I remember picking his brain and saying, mm -hmm. okay, well, asking a similar question, why did you get into the practice of law? And what he said really resonated and always stuck with me going, yeah, there's the intellectual pursuit, right? The, the law attracts people who like the intellectual exercise of taking a, a legal problem and breaking it down and doing the research and the advocacy he goes, it's about helping people. Said, if you want to help people, it's a great profession. Yeah. And and that and I go, yeah, I do. That that really did motivate me to get into it to to help in that area. Um, so yeah, that's um over the years, maybe it's as you get older, you see this more and more, but really enjoying helping people on the estate side. And and certainly we've seen the growth in the area. The entrepreneur in me says there's a lot of need out there. Um, but I think it's an area where um I feel like I'm 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 bringing value and that I'm making a difference uh, by helping people in, in dealing with disability and, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, what happens on death. Yeah, no, I think it's incredible work you do. And honestly, the reason I wanted to have you on is because we had a client that we brought in and um, he's a Canadian citizen living in Mexico, had married, had child in Mexico, and then got sick and they decided to come back to Canada. And you know, he had a place in Alberta and he died within like six weeks of arrival. It was oh, just tragic. And and we were helping the wife that didn't speak any English. And we had to, you know, in her, we found her somebody up in Red Deer that could help and all of those things. And I remember thinking, this is just so tragic because there's a daughter that doesn't have dad. A husband is gone, but also there's no paperwork. And to kind of go through all of the assets and everything, I just thought, We've got to figure out how we can provide support. When immigrants arrive, you're here now. If you can have assets back home and assets here, how do you prepare in case, unfortunately, something will happen? And I think COVID has really brought that close to home because I have friends who do what you do in the States and across the country, and they've been helping people um, quickly even with dealing with wills because people are, have been dying from COVID. Yes. So, you know, for me, it's like, this is really important, the work you do, because not everybody realizes when they get to Canada, we should be thinking about a will. I buy a house. I need to think about a will. I have a child. I need to, you know, so what are the key moments you would say, Gordon, in your life or in the lives of your clients where they should be thinking, I need to see my wills and estates lawyer, or I need to get a will put in place, plus the directives, and when I need to update it. Right. Well, let's start with the fact that everybody over the age of 18, uh, this is maybe a bit trite coming from a wills and estates lawyer, should have a plan, right? Yeah. Because when you're 18, the law gives you a whole bundle of rights. You yeah. can acquire property. You can, uh, you, you can in fact, um, uh, you know, have recognition standing in the eyes of the law. Uh, so therefore it makes sense to put these documents in place. With that being said, I don't have um, a lot of 18 year olds banging down on my, on my door and people think of it as, well, I'll do that when I get old. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when I'm in the later years, well, then I'll start thinking about estate planning. So what we certainly like to preach would be um, 
yeah, everybody should have a plan. You should you should have it in place. And and I think um, a couple of things about your story. Number one, what's what's telling there is is that um, the you need to know that the laws of the jurisdiction where you're ordinarily resident are going to be applicable, right? So somebody who was in Mexico, you know, yeah. maybe they had a, well, sounds like he didn't have a will down there, but when he moved to Canada, okay, now you're ordinarily resident, right? I think based on the facts yeah. you've given, the laws of Alberta uh, are applicable as well as can the Canadian you know, federal law would be applicable. Um, so I think in a circumstance, to answer your question, where, we see people coming would be number one when they when they have their first kid and they realize yeah. suddenly, oh my goodness, I have this child about to be born um, and I got to provide, like what if something happens to us? We need a guardian. We need a trust for that child. Uh, now we have a dependent. We need to make financial arrangements. Um, that would be one reason. So the, and the acquisition of property, sometimes people go, okay, the joke is, you know, when you're, when you're maybe 18, you go, all I have is my student debt. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm still in school and like, I haven't accumulated anything. Fair comment. Um, but I think once you start accumulating assets, then people begin to think about, well, what happens to this stuff when I pass away? So if they suddenly, they start working, well, now they have insurance from for their group insurance plan and they're buying their first condo and or they're getting married that would be another life event where you go okay now i have to provide for my spouse or do i want everything to go to my spouse i, I better change things um so significant life events um would be relevant uh, you know getting a large inheritance now suddenly it's like okay um i didn't have much but now i have a bunch um, not because I've accumulated, but it was gifted to me by my parents or another family member. I better think about what happens. In general, you would want to make sure that a person's wishes match the legal documents. Yes. And by that, I mean, uh, let, let me look at it from a, from a different angle. The most frustrating cases I'm involved with, um, frustrating from the perspective of I wish I could have helped, is when we look at what we know to be the person's wishes and we contrast that with the legal result and there's a mismatch between the two. So we go, okay, on the one hand, I have to sit in a, in a meeting and going, um, well, I know that the deceased person intended this, but unfortunately this is the result and there's a mismatch between the two. Properly. And it would have been so easy to, to fix it. And just yeah. if they had a legal document in place, well, I, I want to make provision, um, you know, for my spouse, but what if everything doesn't go to the spouse? Well, that's not what he wanted. Like maybe in your case, like that newcomer if had, had a spouse, but what if he had a beneficiary designation on his insurance that named the parents in Mexico? Well, exactly. of course, he, everybody goes, of course, he would want to look after his wife. But that's not the legal result. The legal result is it goes to parents. So now are we into a fight about that? Or And you get into all the complexities of estate law. So I, I think at the end of the day, for somebody who says they have the desire or this is what they would like to have happen on in the event of their death, um, then, then you want a legal document to carry out those wishes. So once you yeah. start accumulating assets, you have dependents, um, or if there's a change in those circumstances, right? Suddenly your spouse you know, has dementia, is disabled, has a stroke. Um, what do we do about that? How, you know, we have to change the plan, right? If you have an adult child that suddenly gets a long-term disability, we we can't just hand over a bunch of money to that child, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to have a negative implication on a whole number of areas. So those are the circumstances that usually motivate people to come in to see a lawyer. Um, but 
um, I guess the last comment in answering your question mm-hmm. uh, would be to to have the audience recognize that there's a set of default rules in the province of Alberta, and this is applicable probably in every state and every province, yeah. um, that if you die without a will, the government says, well, these rules apply, right? We call that the intestacy rules, right? In Alberta, they're found in the Wills and Succession Act. So they say, if an Albertan dies without a will, these rules apply. And the difficulty is that when you review those rules with most people, they might say, oh, I don't want that. Um, so the will allows you to opt out of it. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I, I have in seminars and other teaching moments said, well, everybody actually has a will. If it's 50% of Canadians don't have a will or an updated will, the other 50% are, in fact, is written by Edmonton or by the legislature. The province, say, yeah. the province says... Uh, these rules apply. So what's really important for the um, uh, for the audience to hear would be there might actually be a plan you don't even know about. So mm. you should start with saying, well, what would happen if I pass away? And you could talk to a lawyer, but I mean, a lot of uh, skilled financial planners, accountants would probably understand these rules um, and can determine are, are those applicable to you. Um, but it's a matter of making sure your wishes get carried out. So not only how your property gets distributed, but who's in charge of that? Who do you want to be the executor um, for that person who passed away? Um, who should be doing that? Maybe it's not his wife because she's struggling with with language issues and maybe filing tax returns and going through a court application to the surrogate court would be difficult for her. So maybe there was a friend or a professional yeah. or somebody, a trust company who could help him in that situation while she gained the skills and the comfort level about, about language. That would be mm-hmm. an example where he could have put a plan in place that maybe would have made things less stressful for his wife, mm-hmm. um, which would include maybe having somebody work together with her or or to support her in the work that she's now faced with having to go through. And I'm, I'm sure, sure creating a lot of stress. For sure. So Gordon, I mean, Thank you for that. So one of the things that people don't, I think, realize, too, is in addition to estate planning and wills work, I think one of the most significant parts of the work that you do that we've done as a family, too, is is around um, issues of of guardianship, you know, with children, who's going to be involved and who's going to help if something happens, but also the, the piece on directives, you know, like what do you want? Like, for instance, personally, I have a godmother and she doesn't have children. I'm basically like her child and she's 83 almost. And we spent all this year since she's now a widow in the last year and a half. She's done all this stuff because she wants to make sure I'm her executor. She, she wants to make sure her stepkids, you know, they're grown ups, of course, that there's no conflict. So she needs a third party like me, who's not related, but has been, you know, like a family member for all these years, helping her. And then she's also come up with, I want you to make the decision about what happens to my health care, you know, something. And so it's been interesting because every time I go home, there's another piece of paper that keeps me presented. How, how does that work? And obviously briefly, but because the, the, I don't expect you to give details because I know when people need this, they need to come and see you and, you know, to pay you for your time, but also to get the fulsome advice. But what generally do you provide in terms of disability, guardianship, directives? Okay, so number, the, the first point, if you have minor children, there would be yeah. uh, providing a plan for guardianship in the in the will. So that that would be if your child is below the age of 18, you get to handpick the, the guardian. At the end of the day, the courts have jurisdiction for appointing the guardian, but probably 
99% of the time will follow what a parent decides, but it avoids any fighting about who's going to look after Johnny if Johnny's below the age of 18. Uh, point number two would um, is, is in relation to the personal directive, and that's where it brings up the area of planning for disability. So under Alberta law, you can plan for two things. What happens on death? What happens in the event of disability, right? Mm -hmm. Under disability, there's two documents. There's the power of attorney yeah. that deals with financial matters. And then there's the personal directive that deals with healthcare matters, right? So who's going to talk to the doctors and nurses? So what you cite in terms of the personal directive is hugely important. And arguably, since the pandemic, this is something we've been seeing people more concerned about because they're thinking, okay, what if I end up on a ventilator in the hospital because of COVID? Who's going to be talking to the doctors and nurses, right? Even younger people thinking, well, you know, or middle-aged people going, well, that could happen to me, even though most of the time you think about, well, that's when I'm in my 70s or 80s or 90s, right? I have to deal with that. But people are going, this could happen to me in my 40s, 50s, 60s, right? Yeah. Or even younger. We see COVID being somewhat indiscriminate with regard to age. So having, a, if you're going to do nothing else, on the estate planning side, you might say, well, I don't have that many assets to, to worry about on the estate. And, and it's a very real concern to say, I want my um, personal directive in place. So you get to handpick yeah. who makes those decisions, who talks to the doctors and nurses, and then when does it get activated? And you can you can set out your wishes saying, you know, do not resuscitate and do all those sorts of things, right? So that's a hugely important document is a personal directive. The close cousin to that is the power of attorney if you're incapacitated, who's going to manage your finances? And of course, we, there, there's there's been, in, I mean, I don't think this is so much due to COVID, but there's an increase, increasing amount of elder abuse um, and, and people taking advantage of people's property and not doing the right thing. So picking, having the right systems in place in terms of your money is managed. So if you come out of that incapacity, you, you recover from the comb in the hospital, you don't want to see your bank accounts cleaned out because the wrong person has been managing it. So managing those finances become important. So that's applicable in the event of disability. The third thing that you touched on in your, in your question would be, what about guardianship and trusteeship? So here's, here's the short answer under Alberta law. If you don't do a personal directive, I got to get on the webcam and get in front of a judge on WebEx and go get um, uh, a guardianship order, right? Yeah. It's a big, thick application. I need medical evidence and it's complicated. If you don't have a power of attorney, I have to go get a trusteeship order. So for those who cannot sign their own legal documents, um, there's a recourse, but it's an expensive one. And it yeah. means I got to go to court and apply to name the person to be um, the decision maker in those circumstances, right? So I often say to people, and it, it, it pretty much is this, is it's at a zero, right? It's more complicated. We measure those applications for guardianship and trusteeship in the context of the thousands of dollars versus the hundreds of dollars uh, if you did it yourself, Right. Mm -hmm. um, so it is sort of at a zero from a legal cost. So from a financial perspective, it's one of the, the best values a lawyer can provide. A wills and estates lawyer can provide is by putting a power of attorney on a personal directive in place. In fact, in some cases, that should be the first priority, not the will. But people think yeah. about the will. But I hear you. Getting yeah. that in place because bang for the buck um, and, and carrying out your wishes. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, when that when your your friend that you gave the example of um mm -hmm. If that person was sick for a period of time before they passed away, who was talking to the doctors and nurses, right? They're, they're going to ask him, where's your personal directive? 
And if there is no personal directive, they go, we don't know who to talk to. Go get a court order. Well, now this is going to take weeks, if not months. It could be contested. It's going to get expensive. Um, so really having that in place is is hugely important. So now if you have a disabled child, there's a whole conversation about guardianship and trusteeship that you may not have a choice if you have a uh, you know, a child with Down syndrome that was there from birth, uh, yeah. they could they could never do um, a power of attorney and a personal directive. So there's no recourse but to get those in place when they turn 18. But for adults who haven't done their estate planning, there is a solution. It's the guardianship and trusteeship problem, but it opens up, potentially could open up a Pandora's box of uh, not only a legal procedure and the expense associated with that and the delay, but also the possibility that things are, there's a fight. Um, you know, what if somebody challenges the wife's authority to become the decision maker for her husband, the newcomer to Canada? Um, there's a brother that comes in and say, no, no, I want to look after my brother. You're not competent to do that. I think I should be the one I know his wishes. Well, okay. Now everyone's lawyering up and we're into the potentially tens of thousands of dollars in legal costs to solve that problem. All of which can be avoided with a few hundred dollars. Um, yeah. to get the paperwork in place. But it really requires people to do the advanced planning. It requires yeah, people to say, I'm going to get my affairs in order. I'm going to have that in place. Well, no, I think it's all such good advice, Gordon. I mean, I am, somebody recently asked me for you know a referral to um, a wills and estates lawyer, and I gave them your name, of course. And then I got something back like, well, why about I just pull one of these wills packages? That, and I was like, no. I said, I said, seriously? that is not worth the paper it's written on the, you know, and I, I don't even know what they look like, but I've seen them in staples or whatever. And I think to myself, do you not think your house, your car, your assets, your whatever, if you're, even if you have older children, don't you think planning is worth value for money to get this done? Right. I was shocked that, you know, you're driving a a very expensive car and you're going to come and tell me that you don't want to spend a few thousand bucks or whatever on getting something done right instead of picking up on those wills for you. So tell me about that. I mean, in our practice, everybody's always selling the lowest denominator and they don't recognize the value or the mess that's created if they don't do it right. Have you seen that in your practice? Yeah, great question. And I, and I have, so let's, let's touch on a few things there. Mm -hmm. Um, under Alberta law, you can actually do a will in your own handwriting. We call that a holograph will. Now, not in every province. In, in, in some provinces, they're not recognized. But in Alberta, it is. So if somebody sort of writes out their wishes and signs their name on it, um, you know, you could argue that's a legally enforceable um, document, right? Interesting, I had a case where somebody did a suicide note that had a testamentary component to it, and I got it admitted into probate as a valid will. So sometimes you get these cases where that can happen. But I mean, I guess better than nothing, if you're about to board the plane and you say, shoot, I don't have a will, I mean, better to express your wishes in some manner. Um, with that being said, in 33 years of practice, I, I can say unequivocally, every single holograph homemade will that I've seen has been, there's been a problem. Wow. Maybe maybe the, the ones that were fine don't come to me to solve because they were able to handle it themselves. But generally speaking, it's a fair assumption to say um, that if you kind of, you know, do it yourself, there's going to be a problem. I think it's equivalent to me trying to do my own dentistry. Could I get a drill out and, and, and drill out that cavity and try to fill it myself? Probably not. Um, that's <laughs> probably not wise. Or sometimes if I try to fix my car, if I open it and look at all the electronics inside, I go, no, I'm just going to bring yeah. it to the mechanic and it's not worth me saving a hundred dollars yeah. 
to do uh, an oil lube and filter, I'm going to give it to the mechanic because the consequences of doing it wrong are great. I don't want to blow up the engine and it cost me $5,000 to replace right. the engine because I messed it up because I saved $100. That that doesn't make sense. And it's somewhat equivalent in, in the estates area that people um, will save the hundreds of dollars, but they lose the thousands. Now, that's not on every single case, but that's the litigation yeah. cases are the cases that where there's increased legal costs associated with fixing the problem. It's usually because they didn't do the planning or they did it poorly. Mm -hmm. So what we try to advocate is to say, listen, you, everybody needs a plan, get a plan in place. It's not something you have to pay for, you know, every six months. I mean, you do it and probably most people are good. I mean, I always say plan for the next three to five years. Um, I had somebody come in the other day and they, you know, it was about eight years ago that we did their will and time for an update, right? Yeah. So you might yeah. get that kind of mileage out of it. So it's something you have to do every now and then. I think you just budget for it going, that's just the cost of living is planning for dying or just yeah. being disabled. And you do it every now and then, right? And it, and, and the, the benefit of spending the money and doing the planning is number one, you don't have to worry about it. Much like when I bring the car away and the mechanic says it's running great, I don't even know what they did, mm -hmm. but when I drive away, I go, okay, I can trust my vehicle. I'm not going to be stranded in the mountains when I take my family for a ski trip. Mm -hmm. I have confidence the car is going to work much the way, same way. Hopefully what we can deliver to the clients is going, there's a good plan and the legal documents are in place to carry out your wishes, yep. right? So you don't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. So it's a real gift to those that survive, um, that have to, you know, are in the midst of grieving, have to deal with the legal and accounting issues associated with the state administration, even the, and, the, and the tax planning um, and or the tax consequences of, of dying. So that's what we sort of help clients through and identify the issues and put a and put a, uh, you know, a plan in place to give them that peace of mind so they don't have to worry about it, because that's really the benefit. Uh, we'll, I'll end the answer with this is spending the money is yes, you, you get the legal documents, right? And yes, you can go to the registry office and I seen them there myself, you know, the 39.99 kit. Uh. <laughs> but I, I would challenge to say, does that really give you peace of mind? And what's that worth? And, and, and really an average estate, you know, can be in the hundreds, if not into the millions of dollars, right? If you look at insurance, the equity in your home, the RSP, you know, you've got a, you know, you got a $200,000 life insurance policy. It adds up very quickly. Yeah, there's a lot of money there. And what's it worth to protect that to avoid the negative consequences? Hopefully there's a value proposition there that we can we, we can uh, uh, convince a client to say it's worth it. But it's really yeah. that peace of mind that we deliver. Um, and and I, I think that's a small price to pay to say every three to five years, you got to do a check in. Um, we do that annually with our doctors, right? We go for yeah. a check in. Absolutely. You, know, you, you, you don't go to the guy in the corner who pretends to be a doctor. You go to the professional. Um, mm -hmm. And hopefully we can give that peace of mind. But also we can be there for the family when something happens. Exactly. Uh, so there's always already that relationship so that if something happens, they know even if they don't know where anything is, they call you because they know you. I don't know what you do in a case where just a paper package, you put it somewhere and nobody knows where it is that, you know, it, it's, I'm with you completely. I think you get what you pay for. And I tell clients that on the immigration side, if you want to do it and then you make a mistake and it's wrong. Now you come back, I have to fix the mistake. It's going to cost more to fix yeah. a mistake. Right? It's a peace of mind to know that when I hit the border, I'm going to get through okay. Absolutely. Like that's, that's the value you bring. That's it. That peace of mind, right? Yeah. Um, I love that. The I other, yeah, based on what, it was interesting, um, in just more recently, I had a client say, we went through the wheel. It wasn't, mm -hmm. there was some complications, a little bit of specialized planning we had to do in terms of trust. Mm -hmm. 
But what he said really, really resonated with me. He goes, you know what? Yes, I know I need this in place, but you know the real value, Gord, is I found you. I like you. Yeah. And now my kids, I, I know my kids have somebody they can go to if something untimely happens to me. And it yeah. really struck me because, I mean, they don't teach you that at law school, but it was really <laughs> interesting to hear that is to be able to say, um, that was this peace of mind. Yeah. Is there was a professional who's going to help his kids and have his back mm-hmm. when his family's going to be in the, probably the, 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 the greatest amount of stress. Yeah. No, I remember happens to both of them or my wife knows where to go. If something happens to me or if something happens to her, I got somebody to turn to my kids have somebody to turn to. So, um, I was reminded of that more recently and I, I, maybe as a professional, you tend to downplay it, but, but I think that is value to a client is we can, we can be there. Um, you know, that's why we have a firm and, 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 Mm -hmm. and we, it's it's more than just me. We want to carry on and we want to be there for the next generation of, of, of people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, one thing is one of my questions is around right now, this whole Britney Spears thing, and this is just pop culture, but it's been fascinating to be watching the crazy and, um, and all of that, but just any thoughts on this whole idea of adult guardianship? I mean, nobody will ever truly know what took place, but there's something there that just feels, you know, whether she's has some mental and, you know, disabilities or whatever the case was, even if it started from a place of goodwill and yeah. somehow it changed. Like, I just feel like everybody's now focused on guardianship in a way that adult guardianship or, you know, and I think is making people more sensitive to this issue. Any thoughts on that? Just from, of course, yeah, you don't it, know the details either, but. Well, I. It's it's interesting on on that. I I think it may serve in that uh, in that role, um, much like there's been certain cases that have that have hit um, the media and it gets people thinking about uh, things. I think years ago there was that case in the states where somebody was on life support and the family was fighting with the spouse about whether to put the take the person off of life support and it went yes. through the courts and all the rest of it. So it made people more think about healthcare directives and all the rest of it. So perhaps for those that are following it, and obviously she's a she's a recognizable uh, uh, name, um, and I think most people go, "What do you mean she couldn't make decisions for herself?" Mm-hmm. Right now, there is in I mean in California there's specific rules, and and I did a little bit of of looking into it. I think what she had was called a, a general probate conservatorship, um, so it's different than Alberta law. But what's That's similar true. is that somebody was making decisions on her behalf, right? Um, and and in fact, getting paid for it. I think I think oh, her yeah. father was taking like $16,000 a month um, to, to manage it and and even oh, yeah. saying, well, you can't have a cell phone and you can't do this yeah. and you can't do that and, and, and managing it. So obviously the laws there are very specific and different than what they are in Alberta. Um, but it does bring up the point of saying, if I get to a point where I can't make a decision for myself and leaving aside whether that was appropriate in Brittany's case or not, um, that's now at an end. A, a couple of things come up. Number one is there is a process where somebody could be appointed to make a decision on your behalf, whether you like it or not, right? The, that's why we do powers of attorney and personal directives, yeah. right? Because once a court order is in place, that person has the authority. During the conservatorship for for Brittany, it, I, I would assume the legal documents gave father full authority to do what he did. Now they ended it saying it's not applicable anymore, but that raises the second point is that ultimately those matters are reviewed by the court and the court is ultimately there to resolve those kinds of disputes. Um, With that being said, 
it would be really curious to say, what are the amount of legal fees that were spent and the amount of years of fighting, let alone her, um, how she felt as a, as, as, yeah. as, as a human being, as a woman to say, I got somebody else. I can't even make my own decision. Right. And I think, you know, as she certainly quoted in the media saying, well, now I, you know, I don't even know what cash looks like now I have it. You know, I, I mean, she can even, you know, go to yeah. the ATM and take money out and spend wow. it. Right. So yeah. it sounds like it was pretty extreme yeah. and maybe appropriate that it ended. But I guess the point being is that in our lifetime, we can do planning to um, ensure the right people are managing our finances, exactly. making decisions on our behalf. And we want to maintain control for as long as we can mm -hmm. um, in the context of, um, you know, our, having our full faculties and making our own decisions. But if you get to a point where you can't, the law allows you while you have your full faculties to yeah. appoint the right people. And, and what we see happening is more and more people are concerned about having the right choices. We're getting into deeper conversations about mm -hmm. well, who should be on the power of attorney. Should Maybe it should be a joint appointment. Is there an accountability we build in? Um, when does it get activated? I want this person to make the decision whether I lose capacity or here's the standard um, for, for activation. So I think those are, to the extent that a case like this yeah. prompts a conversation about saying, well, I don't want something like that to happen to me. The wrong person get appointed. Looking at it from Brittany's perspective, yeah, yeah, it was probably the wrong person who was doing the wrong <laughs> things. Um, that requires some advanced planning. So to yeah. that extent, on the maybe even on the financial side of things, right? Saying, um, if I come into wealth or if I have some, whatever I have, I, I want the right person to mm -hmm. um, to manage that on manage my it. behalf. Yeah. Um, and And also that you have the, the right to control it or to terminate that. And you can build in those protections with the right amount of planning. So. I think this, I mean, Gordon, I think this situation has just had such a groundswell that I think, I think for you, you need to write a, you need to write a piece about it because I really, even though it's different and we're not in California, I think it's certainly a cautionary tale, right? Yes. It's the idea that maybe she wasn't mentally able to do anything and prepare, you know, with all the money she had, she might not have had a will. She might not have had, but she was still quite young when all of this took place. But I think, so. I think it's a very, very important lesson of planning ahead before you need it. It's almost like right now, there's the whole right to die and, and all the rules around it. And I'm not going to get into that with you so much, but I feel like the whole issue seems to be, you need to be conscious of making a decision and competent of making a decision because once you're no longer competent, you can't make the decision. And, you know, and that's exactly what took place here. And I feel yeah. like more and more people need to recognize we need to plan. You never know, God forbid something happens. You're in the car, you get an accident, you don't have a plan. So to me, the value of a wills and estates, you know, partner, a lawyer that you work with that grows with you and your family as time goes by is that you already have that because you keep saying peace of mind, but you have a plan in place when you're conscious and aware, you know, that I feel like is invaluable. Um, yeah. It, it, it'd be interesting, you know, like if you look at the Britney Spears situation, um, maybe she would have had somebody, she, she, if she had a plan in place or knowing, okay, I'm coming into some wealth. Yeah. Um, I, you know, maybe it's my dad working with somebody else. Maybe there's some accountability. When does it get terminated? Um, you could set out the compensation. So you're right. In the if you do things in advance, it's generally um, a better result because you've had control over it and and it reflects your wishes and what's important to you. Um, but it does require people to come in and do that ahead of time. And that's always the hard part to say. Well, I'll deal with that next month, right? Exactly. I mean, a lot of people know. Yes, I need a will. 
I, you don't have to talk them out, convince them of that. It's just they don't know who to go to. They don't know what they need to think about. So really just encouraging, whether it's about planning for disability or, or getting yeah. a will in place, what happens on death is really encourage the listeners to say, take whatever the next step is. That's why I always encourage. You don't have to get it done overnight. But if you if you say, what's the next step? We'll yeah. take that one step. And it might be um, re-listen to this podcast. <laughs> it, it might be... Um, get online and go to some trusted sources and read some articles, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it might be find a lawyer who will give a free consultation and just, or it may be talk to my financial planner. Yeah. It could be, what about talk to my accountant about my business yeah. and, and what would happen? Figuring out, well, if I do nothing, what's the result? That's a good Whoa. starting point, right? Is, okay, get those facts. It may be the next step is I got to talk to my spouse about this. Yes. Right. Or my adult children. Yeah. Right? Um, let's have a family discussion, discussion about this. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I, the, the next step is not always go to a lawyer. I mean, maybe I'm not excluding that, but whatever that next step is, assuming we're going to tackle the problem incrementally, yeah. take that one next step. So, so just take a moment and think about what's that next thing I could do to move the needle forward a little bit closer to having everything done, right? Because sometimes it seems overwhelming. I, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what to do. Well, it might be, well, talk to somebody about it, right? Talk to a trusted advisor. Where do I go? Yeah. Uh, do I need to listen to more podcasts on estate planning? Do I need to research Alberta law or the law of the state yeah. or province you're applicable? Do I need to, I trust Evelyn. Um, maybe she has some oh, ideas on what I should consider, <laughs> right? Those are the yeah. things to do. Yeah, no, I hear you. And so I really appreciate this, Gordon. I mean, this has been really, really, really entertaining in the sense that you're giving us great information. You're clearly passionate about what you do, which is what I love about you. And one thing that you and I both have in common besides running our own businesses, and we're also adoptive parents. And I feel yes. like, you know, there's just a certain compassion that comes with choosing this is how you're creating your family. So, I mean, you know, I, my kids are now 10, oh my goodness, 10 and a half. And I met you and they would just arrived and, you know, and it has just been the joy of my life. And I know you and your wife have also adopted. Um, so I feel like when you have somebody in your corner who has that kind of background, the family is first, it's not just lawyering. It's very much about you understand that when we're parents, however we become parents, there's responsibility, you know, and one thing I always remember, you know, too, I'm sure the level of scrutiny that goes into becoming an adoptive parent is just like, <laughs> it's like the FBI level. Right. And I always say a 15 year old can go and have a baby just like that and done. But those of us who are choosing to go through the route of adoption um, from a wills and estates perspective, but even just from the process, they really have to want to be committed to it. And so I just want to give you those props and, you know, thank you so much um, for the support that you provided to me. And I know that, you know, you also have children that are disabled. So can you just give us a little bit of, um, for instance, how would somebody who has disabled child, adult children prepare? Because that's obviously something that you and your wife have put in place and you've written a, she's written a book about it. And, you know, this is a real passion for you both. Yeah. It's true. We do. Um, that that's an area that's grown that we do uh, work specifically in the area of estate planning for children that have special needs or long-term or anyone who has a family member who has a long-term disability. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we've sort of been there, done that. Uh, uh, we help a lot of families at, at the point of transition when that, uh, when that child is, is turning adult, mm -hmm. uh, when they're turning 18 in, in Alberta. Um, and 
helping them through that transition for the different support services in place, making sure they have everything that they need and all the legal paperwork is in place because there's some very specialized planning that has to be in place for that child. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a program in Alberta called Assured Income for the Severely Handicapped or ACE um, is a short form. A lot yep. of, a, a lot of, uh, uh, in, 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 I think in every province, there's a program uh, to provide support for people who can't work due to a disability, but it becomes very important about how you gift money to people because there's an asset and an income test for those programs. So we help people navigate that whole process and, and set up the trusts and put that in place. And it is a passion project of us. I mean, we live it as parents, sure. um, and and so we want to help other people in that uh, in in that uh, in that scenario. So yeah, thank you for your. For your kind words on on that, and and uh, uh, we do uh, we do like what we do, and and plan mm-hmm. on keep doing it for a long time, and are working actively. Um, you know, our hope and desire is that uh, you know the services we provide can carry on beyond our working careers, so that um, we're building a team that can be there for the next generation. Because um, I think it's going to be a big issue. For example, siblings that have to look after yes. you know, their disabled brother or sister when parents are gone. What yes. what happens there, right? Yeah. Um, and it's a complicated area. Um, thankfully, we live in a province that is generous, I think, on on on, on large part for having mm-hmm. different programs in place. But it gets we want to have the parents access those programs and then make sure through a planning process they retain those programs um, and don't inadvertently lose it. For example, if they leave a, a financial legacy, a gift mm-hmm. to their child and lose those government supports because they didn't do the proper planning. And then we get into guardianship and trusteeship and and who's going to look after uh, the child when they're when they're gone. So that's the life that we've wow. lived, and and uh, we find increasing specialization in that area. And we, but we we enjoy it and we love working uh, with <laughs> parents who've adopted or or yeah. have a disabled family member, yeah. um, the caregivers and what they go through, the stories that we hear. Oh. Uh, they're just Herculean efforts um, that that they do to to look after those. So it's certainly our honor. And privilege to support them in whatever way we can on the legal side of it, as well as getting them whatever supports they need to 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 help them in that situation. I think it's just incredible work, and I just want to thank you so much, Gordon. For yes, and I always enjoy our conversations. I look forward to the next time we can. Yes, uh, we need some we need some lunch and wine soon so we can commiserate. And now that we can see each other socially after COVID, I want to thank you so much for being on the Ask Canadian Immigration Lawyer podcast, and I look forward to learning more and referring more files and work the best way I can. And I think you've really made the, 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 the point about how important it is to get professional help and to make sure that your plans and desires are manifested on paper and that are legal. And so um, thank you so much, Gordon. You thank were great. you, Evelyn, and my, uh, my pleasure. And thank you too for what you do on your bot, on your podcast. I know you're active on social media. You're doing you take seriously public education and getting messages out there um, uh, and and uh, you're to be commended for your work. And I always say, I, you know, you set the standard to which we all aspire. As oh, my as, God. As far as as far as being out there and getting messages out in your in your practice area, in your little part of the world. Mm-hmm. I know you're trying to make an impact uh, and help people as well. So thank you for the work and this podcast. I think that's a great initiative. Thank you. I hope the information was valuable to you. Please do let me know if you have any questions. You can reach us at akalaw.com, A-C-K-A-H-L-A-W.com, or you can contact us by phone at 403 403- 
452-9515. Have a great day. Thank you.